Hello YouTube, hello Spotify, hello iTunes, and welcome to Numbers on the Boards, brought to you by Fanboys, the official toy store of the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Bobby Corella, and today we've got a very special treat for you. Normally I'm joined by skin, but it's the holiday season, it's the season of giving, and so we're going to give you guys a little bonus. I sat down with Mavs radio play-by-play -play voice Chuck Cooperstein to talk all about the current season, all the current ongoings with the club, but then also some of his favorite memories, some of the favorite games that he's ever called on the radio over the years. It's a really, really fun conversation. I know you're going to love it. Stick around, grab some eggnog or some, uh, sit by the fireplace, I guess, and relax and listen to some podcasting with me and Coop on Numbers on the Boards, uh, brought to you by Fanboys. Hi, this is Bobby Corella. Skin Wade is my best friend in the whole wide world, and you are listening to Studio 41 Radio on 97.1 The Freak. Hello and welcome to Studio 41 Radio on 97.1 The Freak and the Mavs YouTube channel, Spotify, iTunes, the whole bit. My name is Bobby Corella. Joining me today, a very special guest. Listeners on The Freak will know him from the Mavs broadcast. Listeners from around the Metroplex, heck, around the country, might know him from all sorts of historic radio achievements and great calls over the years. It is the voice of the Mavs, Chuck Cooperstein. Coop, what's up? Greetings, Bobby. Greetings. How are you? I'm Hopefully good. everybody's staying warm. <laughs> yeah, we're pulling off I'm a... I'm struggling. Yeah, we're pulling off quite the technological feat to get you in here. Uh, a first ever remote radio broadcast out of Studio 41, Coop. You are a part of history right now, so thank you very much. I love you. I love being a guinea pig. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to see. Hopefully it works. If it breaks midway through, it won't be my fault. So hey, let's just see what happens. So we got you for two segments. In the second segment, we're going to talk to you about some of your, your favorite calls over the years, some of your favorite players to call games for. But in the first segment, I figured, heck, the Mavs are they're finally winning a couple games. Okay, They've won two out of their last, uh, well, we'll see what happens on Friday night. This is airing on Saturday. So hopefully they've now won two in a row. But they get a big win in Minnesota. Things are changing because of injuries. Things are changing with the starting lineup. There's a whole lot to dig into. So, Coop, right off the top, Christian Wood has been starting at center these last few games. Part of it was because Dwight Powell suffered an injury. But also I think maybe they just kind of want to experiment and see what they got with him as the lone big. And so from your vantage point, in your opinion, how do you feel like Wood specifically at the five? We'll talk about his fit with Luka and stuff later, but – would specifically at the five, how do you feel like he's done in that role? You know, certainly over the last week, he's been great. I mean, he really, you know, he shot the ball great and uh, he's rebounded it great, but we know he can do those things. Uh, you know, what has been the most impressive, certainly over the last week, has been his rim protection. Uh, you know, he, he had not been averaging very many blocks. And then, you know, going through that Minnesota game, you know, he's had, he has four consecutive games with, with two blocks. And, Obviously, the block on McDaniels in the final two minutes uh, at Minnesota on uh, Wednesday night was was huge. It was just a, a monstrous play. They were what they were up five at the time, and it looked as if you know that's going to be a one possession game. And he made sure that that wouldn't happen. And the Mavericks obviously need something like that from him on a pretty consistent basis. And if he can deliver that, then that's a huge plus for this team. Absolutely. Seemed like at the beginning of the year. You know, they really liked his fit with Maxi Kleba. Now, that was whenever Wood was coming off the bench, but through that tandem, Wood could play the five offensively, meaning he could be the one setting all the screens for Luka where Maxi could just be spotting up. 
But on defense, you would have the luxury of Maxi's rim protection. Um, and also Maxi's versatility on the perimeter as well. So you could kind of slot Wood in wherever you need him to. But now, especially without Dorian Finney-Smith the last couple games, there's a whole lot more defensive pressure on him, I feel like. And so you talking about his rim protection is really important. But just generally, feels like the Mavs have to go with more of an offense-heavy approach without Dorian. And it feels like if, if that's going to be the case, you know, if you got no Maxi, no Dorian for who knows how long with both of those guys, no Josh Green for what he said is at least another couple weeks, then offense is going to have to rule the day. And it would just logically make sense to me, whether or not Dwight Powell is healthy, it would make a whole lot more sense to go with Wood at the five than Dwight at the five, because then you could really just spam the Luka Wood pick and roll over and over again for like 30 or 35 minutes. And so it's not just defense. I think it, I think, you know, him holding his own on defense is important, of course, but I think that the offense that you can get from him, especially when partnered with Luka, uh, is certainly something that's worth exploring. You know, it's funny, uh, you know, I was talking to Jason Kidd in our pregame show on Wednesday night, and I, I asked him that very question about the idea of, well, hey, you don't have Maxie or Josh, uh, you know, or Dorian for the foreseeable future. You know, do you just sort of punt on defense and uh, try to outscore everybody 120 to 119? And, uh, you know, he, I mean, he kind of looked at it, answered it in a way that said, look, you know, yeah, I mean, it, that could be the case, but, you know, we, but we've got to play defense. We have to try to play defense. And yet, I mean, you look again at that Minnesota game, Minnesota had been on fire defensively on offense. I mean, goodness, they had averaged like 118 points during the winning streak. And they had that huge game against Chicago. Uh, and then even, you know, against the Mavericks, you know, shot the ball really well in that game. So, uh, and then you see that the Mavericks, you know, hold them to 99 points. And it was the first time in a month that they had held an opponent below 100 points. So, which tells me that, yeah, uh, everything that you just said about what Christian and Luca together and what that can mean uh, is really important, and they need to take a, a longer look at that. But in the end, it's still going to come down to whether or not they can actually get enough stops on people. You know, the, the overall field goal defense against Minnesota wasn't great. It was 49.4%. You would like it to be a little bit lower than that. But uh, I, I think they made Minnesota work a whole lot harder. Uh, and, and obviously, the, the play at the end of the game was, was huge. And you know, if they can keep the game around 100 points, you know, again, without three really important players in their rotation, well, you know, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden, like, Luka's got to score 40 and Christian's got to score 30 and then everybody else sort of fall in between, uh, behind them. It means that they can still play the way I think they really want to play and how they feel they can best maximize their talent. Um, again, all of what you say is true, and uh, I'm curious to see how it plays out. I thought uh, uh, in the Minnesota game, Christian seemed a lot more comfortable uh, at the nail catching that ball and then making a decision than he did in the, uh, in the game on Monday night. And, and hey, great on him and great on the coaching staff for the, for the adjustments that they made that allowed them to – it looked like he just had maybe about two feet or three feet more space when he caught the ball so that he could make a decision on where he was going to go with the ball. And it, it worked out great. And, listen, you have to believe that most teams are going to try to do this to Luka uh, you know, in the foreseeable future – and it's going to be on Christian and it's going to be on Dwight Powell in that role to be able to execute it properly. And both of them 
uh, certainly on Wednesday night, executed it magnificently. Yeah, Dwight has a lot of experience playing with Luka, and so I feel like he's kind of used to that. The you know, mm-hmm. if you're playing four on three like that because they're either building a high wall or they're blitzing or they're trapping Luka or whatever, you are playing four on three, but only for like half a second, and then the the you know the other defender gets back. And to your you know, point, I, I was I was just thinking, Bobby, you know, the, the difference in many ways between Monday and Wednesday was Rudy Gobert, because Rudy Gobert, when he comes out and they kind of have that stagger double team, you know, to, to make Luca think about it. And when, uh, you know, when Naz Reed was playing it, Naz Reed seemed to be able to recover a lot mm. faster to the middle of the floor than, than, than Rudy did. And Rudy was kind of caught out in space and that allowed the Mavericks to have a little more room. So I, I thought, you know, it, it seems sort of counterintuitive that, uh, you know, Minnesota would be worse off with the, with Gobert on the floor, trying to execute that particular defense. But uh, at least one man's opinion certainly seemed to be the case. Yeah, and I also thought Luca did a better job of keeping the dribble alive just a little longer and not, like, picking it up and trying to make that real hard bounce pass in between guys' legs and stuff, kind of fishing for the kickballs. You know, I, I've been thinking because it really felt like when Denver and Toronto were doing the same thing, just really hard doubling Luca every single time coming off a screen, the Mavs played Wood fewer minutes in those games than they had been in the games before, and really in most of the games since. They, they leaned more on Dwight and on Maxi sometimes too. And I started thinking about reasons why, and part of it I think was his Wood's relatively slower decision-making in those situations. And I was like, man, this guy's been in the NBA for seven years. What's going on? But then I thought, well, how many guys has he ever played with that are good enough to get double-teamed? On these last couple years on the Rockets, if anyone was getting double teamed, it was him. You know, he was never playing with this sort of odd man advantage outside of maybe like one week with James Harden at the beginning of his first season there before <laughs> Harden got traded. And so this whole thing is new to him. And so I think it is, you know, kind of a testament to coaching and player development and stuff that he was able to make such a huge growth in that specific part of the game and virtually overnight. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, and especially if Dwight can be as, um, effective as he was in the Minnesota game. The one thing we know about Dwight Powell is that he brings what he has every night. Now, again, it, it may not be good enough to win every night, but whatever he had, Dwight Powell never leaves anything in the tank. And, and I think, you know, his seven straight points that he scored at the end of the third quarter were, huge. Uh, on, were absolutely monstrous, monstrous. And, and I think everybody, on the team, Christian included, even though, you know, Christian didn't score very much in the second half, but I think they all took a page from that. And I, and maybe that that's, that's the biggest lesson that I think that comes out of the game and, uh, and it affects everybody. And whether, you know, that's, you know, uh, Christian playing, you know, 25 minutes or playing 35 minutes, you know, hopefully, you know, not just him, because it's, it's be terribly unfair to single him out because he gets a lot of attention for that. Uh, but everybody on the team, you know, it just seemed like they, they dialed it up when they had to, got the stops when they had to, and long enough for their three-point shooting, which had been off for most of the night, to ultimately kick in. Yeah, and I also felt kind of like a dope because you had me on the pregame show for a couple minutes before the game on Wednesday, and you asked me about offense versus defense and missing guys, and I said, well, Coop, I don't think they can win games 100 to 95 like they want to. I think they have to win games 115 to 110. Of course, like two hours later, they won 104 to 99. So thanks a lot. And isn't, that why they, isn't that why they play the games, right? Yeah, we, yeah. And that's they, why they, they, make they, like, they make us all look like idiots. Yeah, and they, that's why they don't pay me the big bucks either. I can, right. I can attest to that. Um, okay, 
So Kemba Walker, these last few games, has been playing a lot. Did not play on Friday night. Um, injury recovery for that knee. He has played a lot of minutes, actually, especially in that Cleveland game. I think he was like maybe even got over 40 minutes in that game because it went to yeah. overtime. Um, 43. Yeah, and now he was fantastic in that game. But in the games since then, he's been used as a third guard off the bench. Now, his first couple weeks with the Mavs, he was barely playing at all. You know, would get regularly DNP'd. I feel like part of it was kind of learning the playbook and all that stuff, getting up to speed. But now he's in the rotation all the time to the point where the Mavs always have at least two of Luka, Spencer Dinwiddie, or Kemba on the floor, which, you know, it's not the same uh, level of talent, I guess. You know, Jalen Brunson is like an all-star. Kemba's trying to find that form again. So, you know, they're not necessarily in the same exact boat as they were last year. But you can see how it kind of resembles that. You know, there's always two playmakers as opposed to, for the most part, there only being one because Luka and Dinwiddie's minutes were staggered so often. So... Uh, what have been your thoughts on Kimba specifically and then also just generally more uh, two-guard options for the Mavs? The Cleveland guard, the Cleveland game was extraordinary, really, wasn't it? I mean, I mean, who saw that? It was awesome, that? dude. It who, was so cool. Who, it really, they, I mean, the Mavericks really deserved to win that game. I mean, they did everything right in that game, except that they basically wound up playing five players for most of the second half, and they just ran out of gas. And, you know, they only scored three points in overtime. But Kemba was great, and Kemba looked like Kemba. You know, a, we all heard the stories in New York last year. Tom Thibodeau shuts him down, you know, right uh, at the All Star break. He's basically done; that he can't he can't go. The knee isn't right, and here he comes out ten months later, you know, barely playing, barely having played, barely having practiced, barely having done anything resembling NBA basketball. And he runs out there against the best defensive team in the NBA, and he runs out there and scores 32. Uh, I think that, that got me excited, and I think it should get everybody excited. Um, because, let's face it, okay, Jalen Brunson is missed, and there, there is no getting around that. But, again, I believe that Spencer Dinwiddie has filled the Jalen Brunson role spectacularly well. He has been as efficient he shot the ball great. I mean, he's, he was never a 40% three-point shooter. In fact, he was like a 32% three-point shooter for his career. You know, obviously, him playing next to Luka has done wonders for his career and for the shot quality that he, that he has. But they've not been able to properly replace Dinwiddie and Dinwiddie's role. And what, and what does that mean? You know, Dinwiddie ultimately was playing. You know, when we got to the playoffs last year, I mean, he was playing 30 minutes a game. I mean, I don't think we would expect Kemba Walker to be playing that, but uh, I, I do think it, just watching him play, it does give Jason Kidd incredible options. Uh, and, you know, certainly depending on the matchup, uh, that at least on the offensive end, that there is somebody who can create. And so that Luca does not always have to face the ball and defenders, you know, coming up with, you know, high, high double teams or, you know, stagger double teams and just not allow him to have any space, you know, that he can start from the block and then come up and get the ball and just not have to feel that pressure right away. Uh, if, if Kemba can continue to do this and you know, it sure looks as if that he's gained the trust of the coaching staff pretty quickly here, that uh, that's a huge plus for the Mavericks. And, and let's face it again, as we talk about with three regulars, uh, at least from the early part of the season out of the lineup, and, uh, and one of them likely to be out for a really long time, uh, you've got to be able to find somebody who can get the ball in the basket. And I think Kemba's demonstrated that he's able to do that.
Yeah, I was going to say, isn't it super convenient that right as you need offense, you just stumble upon a guy that's made four all-star teams? Um, <laughs> of course, there's a reason he wasn't on a roster, and hopefully his knee situation can stay as good as possible you know, for him and for the Mavs for the rest of this season, uh, or, or for however long he's on the team. Um, but one other aspect I feel like that Kimba gives you is quickness, which you know, Luca, for all of his otherworldly abilities, just straight-line speed has never been like his thing. Right, and the same could be said for Spencer Dinwiddie, who is much more kind of herky jerky like Luca than just a straight line blazer like Kimba. And so I feel like that quickness element has been sorely needed on this team. And then also, secondly, Kimba can bring the ball up the floor and allow Luca to just get into position in the post, as opposed to Luca bringing it up. Let's swing it over to Reggie or whoever, and then try and like find my way down to the block and get in position. And then all of a sudden, there's four seconds left in the shot clock. Like it, it feels like they can just get into that look where Luke has been really, really good this season, just much faster. Yeah, it's every coach wants alternatives. He want he wants options. You know, an old program director many years ago told me, "It's all about options, buddy. It's all about options." <laughs> and and you know that if you can run the high pick and roll all the time and do serious damage off of it, I mean, it's been a bread and butter play for the Mavericks for the last, you know, several years, then, Hey, you know, so be it. But, you know, there may be times where it's not possible, where it doesn't happen as cleanly as you'd like it to happen. And you got to have other ways to be able to make things happen. And so, uh, you know, having Kemba, who's a terrific shot, who has been a terrific shot creator, who still looks like he's got a little something in the tank when it comes to that. Um, that's uh that's a really nice option to have. And so in closing here in this first segment, where the Mavs are in the Western Conference playoff picture has really kind of depended on the day for the last like three weeks. <laughs> they've been as high as eighth. They've been as low as 11th in late November. They got all the way up to fourth. So like one good stretch can move you up three, four places. One bad stretch can make you feel like it's going to be a really, really long year. But with that said, as things currently stand right now, give me a couple teams that are ahead of the Mavs in the standings that maybe are surprises that you really do believe in. And then give me a couple teams that are ahead of the Mavs that maybe you aren't totally sold on yet. Uh, the former, I mean, how can you not be impressed with uh, what New Orleans has done? And, and New Orleans has done this really with very, very few games at full strength because Zion has missed games. Brandon Ingram has, has missed a bunch of games. And Herb Jones has missed quite a few as well, and he's their defensive stopper. Uh, you know, you, you wonder, okay, what does this look like when they're all back together? Uh, you know, I, I love what, uh, what uh, Willie Green has done with uh, Jose Alvarado. I mean, he, he's just, he's become a, you know, a J.J. Barea type player that, uh, you know, just really is a tremendous spark for their team. And, uh, and the rookie, Dyson Daniels, has been pretty impressive as well. But, you know, look, the return of Zion means everything. And if he stays on the floor and, and plays the vast majority of their games, uh, they're going to be a very tough out. Uh, Utah, I'm really impressed with as well. And I, but I do think so much of their success ultimately will be how many games Mike Connolly is able to play for them. He, he's been hurt a bunch, but when he plays, they just they look really organized. And clearly, Markinen has picked up where he left off from uh, Eurobasket uh, in September. He, he, he's been great. Uh, you know, he always seems to play great against the Mavericks. It didn't matter who he was playing for, whether it was Chicago or Cleveland. Uh, but now he's doing it against everybody every night. And, uh, you know, the the, um, the comparison with marketing when he came out of college at Arizona 
you know, was to Dirk. He was a, a seven footer who could really, really shoot the ball and, you know, take it off the bounce and make stuff happen. And he was hurt a bunch early in his career, you know, with, uh, with both Chicago and, and in Cleveland. Um, but uh, he's showing the full arsenal here right now. I, I really, I really like what they've done. And, and, you know, the uh, players that they got in the Gobert trade, you know, everybody's talking about the draft choices, but they got players who could actually play. I mean, Malik Beasley is, is right up there among six man scores. You know, Vanderbilt's a very good defender. He's become better on offense, much more assertive on the offensive end. Uh, so uh, I, I really, and, and Walker Kessler, uh, you know, they needed a center. <laughs> and who knew that, uh, you know, a seven footer uh, who mainly was a rim protector and was uh, not used to playing out in space was able to be able to play out in space and, and still defend the rim at the, so where he's a top 10 shot blocker in the league. So there's a lot to like about Utah. The one team that uh, that's above them right now that I can't quite get a handle on is Denver. You know, Jokic is fantastic. He, I mean, again, for the second straight year, no one has a better net rating than he does. You know, when he's on the floor, they're like plus 15 or plus 10. When they're off the floor, they're minus 15. It's it's just r- ridiculous where, what he does. Been that way for a couple of years uh, now. Yes. And, and, and so, I mean, how are they doing this? I mean, literally, everybody talks about the Mavericks uh, outside of Dallas as being a one-man team. They're a one-man team. They literally are a one-man team. Yeah, Aaron Gordon's playing better, and Porter's been hurt a bunch again. Um, you know, I'm, Jamal Murray is kind of struggling to figure it all out, coming back from the knee. I'm not quite sure how they're doing it, and yet there they are. There they are at the top. And, and it, you know, the Mavericks have beaten them two out of three. The Mavericks have had great success against Denver through the years. They know how to play them and, frankly, know how to shut Jokic, or at least control Jokic. I don't know if you'll ever say you're going to shut him down. Um, but they're the one team that I wonder, can they really sustain it? Uh, you know, the 52 games in the West, you know, it, they feel like playoff games, you know, or s- suggest that before the season begins, those 52 games are going to feel like playoff games. Well, here we are, you know, right before Christmas, and they feel like playoff games. I mean, they really do. You, you feel on top of the world when you win those games, and you're just devastated when you don't. And when you win a few in a row, you feel like you're going to live forever. And hopefully we don't have to know what it feels like to lose a few more in a row for the rest of the year. Coming up next, we're going to dive a little deeper into your career, talk about some of your favorite players to call, some of your favorite games that you've called, and a whole lot more on Numbers on the Boards. Welcome back to Numbers on the Boards. Studio 41 Radio on 97.1 The Freak. I'm still Bobby, and our guest is still Chuck Cooperstein. Coop, thank you again for joining us, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, So now let's get more into the radio side of things. Um, Specifically, some of your favorite memories calling games, some of your favorite players uh, to call games for. But first off, can you give me and give the listeners an idea of what it is like to prepare for a radio broadcast, what what all goes into your preparation for just your normal standard Wednesday night game in Charlotte? Well, um, I've got I've got a scorebook. Uh, I'm I'm old school in many ways, and that that's one of them because I write everything down. I don't use my computer. Uh, I, I've found through the years that the more you write down, the greater likelihood of you actually remembering what you wrote down is better than when you use it on your computer. Uh, So 
uh, like, uh, you know, for, for the game against the Lakers, uh, and especially because uh, the Mavericks haven't played the Lakers yet this year, it'll probably take a little more time to go through the Lakers roster uh, and put notes down for the players that are, are likely to play. Uh, you know, the, the Mavericks stuff at this time of the year pretty much is it, it just sort of settles itself. And uh, so, you know, write, write down the players, you know, scoring averages and points, rebounds, shooting assists if necessary, steals. Um, and then, uh, you know, basically going through basketball reference and getting, you know, just the, the, the real nuts and bolts uh, numbers and maybe some trends that come as a result of that. Um, you know, th there, are, there are game notes, obviously, that the, the Mavericks provide, that the, uh, the opponents provide. And then, you know, there's stuff that I look up on my own, stuff that might not be in, uh, in, in those notes, but stuff that, uh, you know, might be of interest to me. I will say that uh, the Mavericks PR staff does an absolutely phenomenal job of, uh, of finding stuff because usually it's in there before I can find it. Or they put something in after I've done the work and said, oh, I didn't really think about that. And, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll put that in the mix, which is, again, that's the way it should be. But it doesn't happen as much as you would think that it would happen around the NBA and, frankly, around sports for that matter. Um, so putting that all together, uh, notes and numbers to whatever, the book itself probably takes about, you know, two and a half hours uh, to, to three hours, maybe depending, again, on just, you know, what am I looking for? Uh, what, uh, uh, you know, just, you know, what, what, okay, this trend popped up, uh, you know, okay, you know, for, for instance, even, you know, last night, I w or, or the other night uh, against Minnesota, you know, when we we're starting the series, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, the Mavericks won three games on the road all year. You know, where does that rank in the NBA? And so you're, you're looking for stuff like that. And as it turned out, there were a whole bunch of teams that had three wins. And fortunately, the win on Wednesday night took the Mavericks out of that. And oh, put the, we did it <laughs> exactly, and put and you know and the Warriors and the Rockets are left behind because the the other uh, two teams beside the Mavericks uh, were able to to win that night. So uh, it just just things like that, things that I think uh, are easy for the listener to digest, and at the same time uh, help tell a story because ultimately that's what we're trying to tell. We're, we, the, the game is the story. And then we are trying to, uh, enhance what the game is and, and try to put some things into context. And the games are always exciting whenever Luca is playing. And for those <laughs> yes, who don't know are. during your seating location varies on the road, sometimes it's lower, sometimes it's higher, but at American airlines center, you're basically in the platinum level. So for those who know, the platinum level is like the second level. Now, I always sit in the press box, which is perched way up there atop the third level. Um, kind of like, I don't know. We're on the same side, actually. You kind of sit like directly yes. beneath me. And so we have a very similar vantage point. And what I like about sitting way up there, yes, sitting down low, you can hear more. You can kind of see a little more. You especially see faces. You can hear what the players are saying. You get a really good idea if like the officials are deliberating about stuff or if coaches are, you know, dishing out whatever words, uh, sometimes insults uh, toward the officials. You can hear that. But when you sit up top, you can really see things develop and you really understand what's going on from a tactical perspective, maybe more than you would if you sat down low, because oftentimes 
can't really see the plays they're running. You got ref butt or coach butt in your face all the time. So anyway, sitting up top is really cool for a nerd like me. And the other advantage that it gives me is I can usually see plays develop. So for the most part, once there's like 15 seconds left on the shot clock, I can tell you what's going to happen on a play based on is so-and-so out of position, someone blow a rotation, uh, this is what they're trying to set up. You kind of know what's going to happen. But there are every now and then times when Luca surprises me. And I'm just curious, for someone that's called a whole lot of games, including pretty much every game Luca has ever played and called a bunch of games that LeBron has played and a bunch of other great players over the years, including Dirk and an, another wizard like Jason Kidd, how often does Luca make plays, make passes, make shots, try stuff that just leaves you in awe? Oh, it, it, if it's not every other game, it may be every third game. It's like, okay, where did he see this? Where did it come from? It's because that, oftentimes you, you know, can see it. Before, like, that's the thing, right? You yeah, can but see it. Except with, with, except with him, he's, he's thinking even farther ahead than you're. You're thinking one pass ahead. Uh, I'm thinking one pass ahead. I'm just you know, really worrying about where is the ball? Because that's my responsibility to the listener. Where is the ball on the floor? And all of a sudden, you know, Luca will will make some pass, some no look, uh, you know, over his shoulder, you know, just immediately, you know, 90 degrees backwards. And he has some, you know, some guy trailing the play and he catches it. And it's a catch and shoot three pointer. It's like, how did he do that? I, I'll, you know, I mean, look, he's made so many incredible passes. But uh, to me, the, the one that always stands out was, uh, I, and I want to say this was his first year uh, in uh, they were in Sacramento and he has the ball at the right hash mark and he throws a pass cross court in the left corner to Dorian Finney Smith oh. for a catch and shoot three. And I mean, I'm in Sacramento now, this is a road game, right? And <laughs> I just went berserk. It's like, I, 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 I know I sounded like it was game seven of the NBA finals and the, and the Mavericks, he just made this pass and Finney Smith had hit this shot. It was, you know, Jordan to Paxson or whatever it is to win. But it was just mind-blowing. Like, how did he do that? I know and exactly the play I, you're talking I, about, Coop, real quick. I, 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 I do. I know. I do find myself, more often than not, just blurting out, how did he do that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like just stream of consciousness. That I feel like that's a, a large part of radio is like, like you said, you got to worry about where the ball is. You were giving real-time updates for a ball that is being thrown around the perimeter at 50 miles an hour. Like, so you were always like, I'm just going to say whatever's on my mind. And I know exactly what pass you're talking about. I was at the game sitting in the press box at the opposite end of the floor, uh, kind of like elevated. And I didn't even realize Dorian was wide open whenever he made that, play, uh, that pass. And I'm not sure. Nobody did. Yeah, because <laughs> that's the thing. I'm not sure when he made the decision to pass that ball. I'm not sure Dorian was open. Like, I think Dorian became open while the ball was in midair. And that, to this day, is still probably the most, like, shocked and mystified that I've ever been by anything I've ever seen on a basketball court. That exact pass. I'm really, really happy that that's the one that stands out to you, too. Because that, to me, is like, maybe it's because it was the first one. I'm sure he's made cooler ones since then. There was a, a pass right. in Detroit last year that was, I, yeah. I still don't know how he did it. But, I mean, that one was just so spectacular. Are there any other guys that you've called games for that that have that same sort of a, a effect? Whether it's their mind works so so 
so quickly or so far in advance, or maybe their just athleticism is just unbelievable. Like, how many other players leave you slack child like that? Well, I don't know if necessarily for passing, but I think maybe even more for shooting. Uh, you know, anytime you're doing a Curry game, it's like, okay, <laughs> just what are the limits of his range? Where is he going to stop and pop it from? And with, with the more than realistic expectation that that, that ball is going to go in. I mean, and when he's off, you know, like he was uh, in a couple of games against the Mavericks last year in the regular season, it's like, you're shocked. You're just shocked. He, he's just, he, he's probably my favorite player to watch in the league and not even so much for his shooting, but the fact that he's always moving. I mean, he's all, he's not always on the ball. It's all the stuff that he does off the ball uh, you know, his ability to, to come off pin downs or to, to, to run curls and, and get himself in a position to, to sh then shoot the ball. And the, the obvious uh, expectation of the crowd, either enjoy when they're in San Francisco because he's got the ball and he's going to shoot, or in clear fear yeah, for the utter terror in the, in the opposing <laughs> arena when, when he's going to shoot the ball. Uh, n nobody has that. Nobody has that in the NBA. In that sense, is calling Warriors games like harder than calling a normal team because they do pass it and just move it so much? And you're like, oh my god, I don't, I don't even know where the ball is right now. No, I, you know, I try to call as many passes as possible. I don't think you can get them all, but uh, you, you do. At you probably need a, like a couple of possessions like in the game to sort of figure out the speed and you know, like Tim Roy, who was the voice of the Warriors. I'm sure he has less of a problem because he does them all the time. But when, when you don't see them very often, uh, you're, you know, it, it, sometimes, especially when they go to that split actions, like where's okay, where are these guys going? And then where's the ball going? You know, where's Draymond going to pass it or Looney going to pass it. Uh, that takes a little bit of getting used to, but uh, you know, I've always, uh, I will say that, uh, you know, outside of the American Airlines Center, uh, you know, Golden State has always been my favorite team to do, even when they were bad, because their fans were so great. Even in Oakland, uh, they had a lot of bad basketball to watch for a long time, but there were 18,000 people in that building every night, and they knew what they were looking at. And it was really impressive to watch. And now that they're good and even great, uh, it really does make it that much more electric. Yeah, I'm really happy that I was able to go to Oracle, especially – it was during the Curry KD era. Like that was one of the best basketball teams of all time. And I got to see it in that building. And of course they beat the Mavs every single time I've ever been to that arena. So that was neat too, I guess. Um, who were some of your favorite players? You, you mentioned Luca Curry, obviously. Who are some of your other favorite players from over the years, whether they've been on the Mavs or they're on other teams where, you know, it's obviously fun to watch them play, but particularly for you calling their games on radio, like, are, are there players that it's just, I don't know, maybe it just unlocks the poetry in your mind or like the, the, these well, certain players bring out the best in you? Um, look, you know, my first year with the team was the year Kobe scored 62 and three quarters and outscored the Not bad. 62. Uh, never seen anything like it. Don't think I ever will see anything like it. Um, you know, there, there were a couple of games that he had uh, against Dirk where they went back and forth and they, you know, both in the, the mid to high thirties that, you know, when I, I guess the easiest way to, to answer that Bobby is it is great when great players playing against each other, both play great. 
those games are the most fun. And it doesn't, it doesn't really matter who they are. Uh, and especially now, because the skill level of the league is, has never been better. The shooting has never been better. Uh, and it, it's almost like you're expecting it every night because all these guys are so capable of doing that. To that end, games. Like you mentioned, you mentioned when two great players play great, and that immediately got me thinking of the game in December 2005, or that might have been in December 2004. I'm not sure you were on the call then, but the, the Dirk T-Mac duel. So you got one yeah, guy going 53, uh, the other 48. Right, that, was, that was the year before I got the year before. That was, yeah. So then what have been... Yeah. What was that? That would that would have been up there. That would have to have been up there because you know that's the the highest scoring game in in Mavericks history, right? Fifty three points. And, yep. But uh, you know, I'll tell you what. One game uh, fairly recently, and uh, it was uh, it was unfortunately it was the uh, the year with no fans in the stands or limited fans in the stands. But it was right before the All Star break when the, when the Mavericks played New Orleans. And, and Luca went off and he had, I think, 46 that night. And Zion Williamson had, I think, 36. And he was 14 of 15 from the floor. And the only miss was a three pointer. Uh, you know, and, I mean, and Luca was incredible. And he had to be incredible for them to be able to win that game. I, I think, you know, those are the kinds of games you look at. See, hey, you know, he's, he had to be that great for them to win. Now those those are the games that uh, you remember. Look, we could pick out about uh, seven Portland games over the, over the last five years with Luca and 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 you know the game in the the game in the bubble when when Lillard scored sixty one against them and you know and they needed all of those you know to hold Luca and the Mavericks off uh, in that game. Um, and and obviously you know so many of the of, of the playoff games and especially you know especially last year. Look, game game seven in in, in Phoenix was just. It, that was a truly surreal experience. You know, not so much even that the Mavericks won the game. Sure, a lot of people probably thought they wouldn't win the game, but how they went about it, you know, it, it was so Tyson-esque in his prime, you know, the the clean knockout. But you're still thinking at some they're gonna get off the deck, right? They're gonna make some kind of run. And and the Mavericks literally just, you know, not only they put their foot on the throat, they crushed them. They crushed them to where it was no game. And, and that Luca, you know, especially after Booker had done what he had done earlier in the series and, uh, you know, Luca goes off and he, he has the, the, the 35 and he has what he scores as many points in the first half as Phoenix had, uh, you know, 27 to 27 and Dinwiddie has the, you know, the game of his life and goes for 30. Those, I just love that stuff. I mean, they're, they're, you know, look, I've, I've been fortunate enough to do this for 18 years and there, there were just way too many games to count the, what, you know, one of the game, you know, just of many that you could pick out, Dirk's 29 in the fourth quarter against Utah, uh, you know, on a night when for three quarters they didn't have it and he didn't have it. And all of a sudden, he, you know, he goes off for the, you know, the single greatest quarter in Maverick history. And, uh, you know, they wind up winning a game that they probably had no business winning. In the flow of things like that, whenever those of us that are just like listening to you or watching on TV or at the game or whatever, we can just lose ourselves and be like, Oh my God, like, is anyone else seeing this right now? Like, this is unbelievable, but you still have a job to do. So in the moment, are you able to like, are, are you just completely lost in what's happening or are you able to keep your wits about you and think like, I'm witnessing something that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life? I think a little bit of both. I mean, I, I, 
I love history, have always loved history. Uh, I think it's really important for people to know their history. Uh, a lot of people today, I don't think the time, don't think take the time to learn their history. So as you're watching something unfold, like, okay, what does it mean? What, 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 you know, what is the true significance of, of what's going on here? Uh, so I, I, I never forget that. But at the same time, I'm, hey, I'm a fan. I'm a fan like everybody else is a fan. I just, you know, uh, conduct my fandom over radio uh, and, and describing what I see. And that, I mean, obviously that makes me different than, than most fans. But in the end, I, I, I'm incredibly joyful in watching the greatest players in the world do their thing every single night. And, and, and I think that's the thing that we always have to remember that even when the Mavericks lose, the fact is, and maybe lose to teams that they shouldn't lose. And they've had a couple of those. This no, that year. never happens. That they never happens. Never happened. Mm-hmm. Like, these guys are great. <laughs> they are absolutely incredible at what they do. And, I get to watch that as I, as I tell people all the time, there are 8 billion people on earth. There are 30 people who do what I do. So it, it's, it's not lost. So in the moment, do you ever just get really mad? You just want to like, Oh, come on, make the free throw. I've done that. <laughs> uh, hopefully, hopefully I banged the table far enough away from the microphone that, <laughs> that it didn't get picked up. You know, we've, we've, you know, we've had a couple of games like that this, you know, this year and it's, come on man like no you, you've got to be able to make these right yeah. and, and then as the game is going on and so many of these games that were you know that we're talking about were, were close games and it's and i'm sure you could probably tell in my voice when when a free throw was missed late in the game you could hear my voice drop and i mean that that's the angst that i'm feeling that fans are feeling that the bench is feeling that you know i'm, I'm no different in that regard and to your point about kind of like telling stories and telling the story about what is unfolding, we've been so spoiled forever to get to watch like Dirk, 90% free throw shooter, Jason Terry, always in the high 80s before that, Steve Nash. Like there's always been, Michael Finley was a fantastic free throw shooter too. So there's always been guys that are in like the mid to high 80s or low 90s around here. This team is just a little different. There aren't any of those guys, you know, so well, this, this team story is a little different. But but check this out, Bobby. I mean, in the month of December, there have been three really bad free throw shooting games: Detroit, Milwaukee, and Cleveland. Sixty-three uh, percent or worse, and in the the case of the first two, below fifty percent. In the other twelve games, in uh, you know, or thirteen games, in seven of them, they've shot 80 percent or better. Ooh. Like five of them, they shot eighty-five percent or better. They know how to do this. Yeah. But it, 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 but it's like everything else, you know. They, it, it, like great defense is contagious. You know, you you get a you get a stop. You put together like two or three consecutive stops, and then you're like a, a pound of wool, a pack of wolves that hasn't eaten in a week. You know, you can't wait to go back and do it again. Uh, you know, just the same way, uh, you know, with 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 free throw shooting or just even your offense. You see shots go down, you get excited. You see free throws go down, it's like you don't want to let the next guy down, and so. You know, th- those games, uh, you know, Detroit, Milwaukee, Phoenix at the beginning of the year, I mean, those are all you know, really disappointing. And I know, you know a lot of uh, folks have wanted to harp on that fact. And look, it, it's it's not deniable. I mean, it, they definitely cost the Mavericks games. 
and could very much affect where they are ultimately in the standings. But the fact it's not like they do this every game. And in fact, more often than not, here of late, they've been really, really good. As I always say, Coop, the difference between ordinary and extraordinary, that little extra. Thank you very much for joining me, man. Really appreciate you. Really appreciate you, Thanks Coop. for having me. I really yeah, enjoyed it. It was a blast. Uh, don't go anywhere, those who are listening on uh, 97.1 The Freak, because coming up next, we got the corner three. We got me and Katya, and maybe Isaac. We'll have to see if Isaac can join us. And uh, until then, Coop, thank you again. And you can hear Coop every single radio broadcast right here on 97.1 The Freaks. Be sure to tune in, including tomorrow, because it's Christmas. Coop, appreciate you, man. We'll see you. Merry, merry. Take care.